pulse. What color do we tag them if they do have a radial pulse? I miss that. If they do have a radial pulse, you move on to the next step. Okay. So do have a radial pulse, do have a cap refill that's less than um, two. That is your um, target to move on to the next um, category, which is mental status. Now, in honesty, um, I check mental status right at the very beginning. When you're walking up to a patient um, and you uh, come across them, the issue is is that when you're like, hey, what's going on? What's your name? You're, and they're like, what? I don't understand. You've already made it to the end because you know that they're breathing. You know that they have a pulse and you already know that their mental status is altered. That means that they are now going to be um, a uh, immediate, right? So if they're altered, they're already an immediate. Does that make sense? Good. So I, I walk up to Doug. I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? As I'm trying to assess his breathing. And he's like, what? Where are you at? Uh, I don't know. What happened? Fine. He's immediate already, right? If he doesn't respond... When I walk up to talk to him, I start at RPM and work through the process because at that point what I'm doing is looking at his breathing, seeing if I open the airway, if that starts his breathing, checking for that pulse. And again, it's about radial pulse or cap refill being over two seconds that categorizes as immediate. Okay. And the hardest part of triage is to separate um, emotion, your thought process, of looking at somebody and saying, this person's really hurt. But you know what? If that person's really hurt, let's say they've got a left leg amputation and their right arm is crushed and burned and you show up and they uh, have a radial pulse and they have breathing under 30 and they're clear-minded, they are delayed. And um, the question was, is what do we mean by delayed? Well, it means that we have somebody who they, they might have life-threatening injuries, but right now they are maintaining, whereas somebody else isn't. And so we have to look at those people who are crashing because maybe this person's younger, healthier. Maybe they've got, maybe they're old and healthy. Whatever it is, it's something that says that they are able to wait a little bit longer. It could be minutes, it could be hours. But this is our first round through triage. Now, as we come back through, if that has changed and now they're breathing over 30, now they've lost a radial pulse, now that means that we are looking at somebody who's moved into that immediate category. Okay? Open for discussion. I mean, that makes sense, but if it has like like you said if their their legs amputated their arms really burn all that stuff i mean are we looking at the potential of you know if we try to save that person it's going to take longer and potentially more resources and we can save more people than that or i just that to me just makes like kind of confusing of what how that couldn't be immediate just because they're just because they're breathing i mean they're losing so much blood if their legs gone and stuff like that so what are the two treatments we can perform in triage um, I guess just maintaining the airway and having Open the airway. Yeah. Control bleeding by either a tourniquet or a bystander direct pressure. Those are the right. only two things that we can do. And it doesn't matter. It 
it, it's triage. And when you're doing this and you're rolling through a crowd of 60 people, you have to simply follow the rules and it hurts and it sucks. And, you know, you'll find somebody who is looks like they're okay, but they're breathing 30 times a minute. And what you don't know is they've got a hole in their back because you're not doing a rapid assessment on everyone. You're not doing anything but evaluating them where they sit, how they are, and with those three key indicators that say, are they breathing spontaneously? If yes, is it less than 30? Is Do they have a radial pulse? Do they have good mentation? If they've got all three of those, they're delayed. If they can't walk away, doesn't matter if there's a piece of rebar through their chest. It doesn't matter if their skull's cracked open. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It yeah. is simply three indicators. Um, you but have has to... any altered mental status there immediate? Yep. Okay. Okay. Now, not liking the situation, um, not fully understanding everything that happened, right? You know, I'm on a bus. It's Thursday. You know, what happened? I don't know. Okay, fine. You're on a bus. It's Thursday. For me, that mental status is okay. What's going on? I don't know. Where are you at? What? I don't know. Help me, right? That's altered mental status because that could be a head injury. And so this is what's been set forward, and we found that the, we treat the greatest number of patients as much as we can. If this is two patients, then, of course, you're going to take care of that person who's got the, the bleeding in the leg and everything else, and there's someone sitting next to him that's you know, got similar vital signs that doesn't show anything. You at least know what you're working on with the person with the leg and the hand. If the other one's got internal injuries, that's not something you fix but think about this um turbo you were you and me were in a car accident okay you're laying there you were you and i were both ejected from the vehicle your liver is lacerated your spleen is bleeding you're bleeding internally your legs look fine your arms look fine you don't have any holes there's no external bleeding you've got an absent radial pulse because you're bleeding out internally or um uh, breathing is over 30 because you're going into shock. I'm there and my leg is mangled because the car rolled over it and it's crushed and it's in funny directions. But I'm breathing at 24 times a minute. I've got a strong radial pulse and I'm screaming, help me, help me. And they take me because that's the one that looks bad. What's going to happen to you? Right. I'm going to die. You're going to die because you didn't have a visual injury with me in here. Laser really. I've done so many air quotes. Um, you didn't have anything. It's not, it's not even eight thirty, and you already killed me off. Well, no, I'm trying. I'm trying to help you to understand why triage works the way it does. Because it's not that you're resistant to this. I don't think, but you care about what you're finding in your patient, right? The trick of triage is is that you can't care. You have to be a machine. It has to be A, B, C, D. Move on. A, B, C, D, move on. It doesn't matter if you're 3, 30, 103. It doesn't matter if you've got a visual injury or if you've got nothing that you can see and you're only breathing 30 times a minute. It's just it's just that process. The way it is. It is because, again, you're talking about triage. You're not talking about taking care of two or three or even four or five patients generally. You're talking about taking care. And, and we triage a family in a minivan and we send the most injured first based off of what we're finding um but yeah so like i said it changes when there's 60 people 
Well, and it, it shouldn't really change when there's five. Because, again, the idea of the way this was set up by doctors who've watched lots of people um, go through these processes, seen how those vital signs correlate to survivability. Um, if you've got a minivan that's full of kids, you're still going to follow this. If they're little kids, you're going to follow jumpstart triage, right? Right. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a no... A no happiness kind of thing, right? Um, further questions? Go ahead. Um, you had kind of cut out when you were saying the two treatments we can perform in triage. What were those again? Of course. Um, you can open the airway, okay? You can control bleeding by the use of either bystander direct pressure or the patient controlling direct pressure on themselves or by the use of a tourniquet. That's it. Perfect. Thank so you. Bleeding and airway. Yep. Because if you think about those, those are still ABC kind of things. And you can, when you open that airway, you're going to open the airway. And if they don't start breathing on their own, it's already deceased. Tag them black, move along. You run back along and somebody's tagged black and they've started breathing again. Fine. Tear that tag off. Give them a new tag. Or leave that tag on and give them a new tag and, you know, tuck that other one away. And then that'll help remind you that when you came along, this person had no spontaneous breathing. Who knows what happened? I've never once seen that happen, but. And is it just infants or is it infants and children? If they're not, you do five rescue breaths. Um, I think the I think the specific for jumpstart triage is under five. And what you're going to do is you're going to give that um, five uh, rescue breaths. Okay. So, and that's the only difference, right? And then the respiratory rate for children, remember, um, is if it's over 30 or under, um, God, what is it, 10? When I go in scenes like that, I always pull my jumpstart triage piece. Um, but yeah, that's the, the piece. Okay. okay. Oh, over 45 or under 15 is the jumpstart triage. I'm sorry. So it's over 45 or under 15 in um, children and infants. If they're over 45 years old and they're not breathing, you would do the rescue breaths? Is that what you're saying? No, or over 45 breaths per minute. Oh, that's what I was like. Under 15 breaths Wait a per second. <laughs> like, Sir, how old are you? 46. Oh, well, you don't get any breaths. Well, if he can tell you 46, then... Uh, you know, he doesn't need breaths regardless. I, 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 I kind of understood that as soon as I said it. <laughs> okay. What other triage questions do you have? Hey. Okay. Uh, uh, the ICS, I assume there will be some um, touching on that in the exam. There could be. And you guys have done um, the ICS, or the IS 100, 200, and 700. So you should be well-trained in that. Because I have no doubt that you would have, you know, legitimately gone through all the slides and not tried to just skip to the test at the end in it. Is I, you find online. ICS on the National Registry? Um, there may be some basic components of it. Um... The idea is that we, we do cover it for class. 
the government does a really good job. And the nice thing is that that is uh, a great program that's put out there because everybody gets the exact same training. Then it's not altered. I only kind of clean it up and talk about it when we do our day when we talk about MCIs. Uh, so there may be some. Now, they don't expect you to have ICS 100, 200, and 700 for national registry. That's a, that's a course uh, process that we've done. We've done that for years. Um, and it's good for employment because a lot of employers want you to go out and get that. And you can walk in and say, I've already got it. It just shows that you're that step forward as far as being the right employee. You show up, you're in an apartment complex, and you find this. Um, Edison, pop on. What I want you to do is start right from the very beginning of trauma assessment. Walk us okay. through this. So, I'm going to check his airway by kind of introduce myself, see if he talks. Oh, um, oh my God! Somebody stabbed me! Help! Oh, help me! That's a good sign. Uh, now I'm gonna begin my. Or I'm gonna uh, look at the stab, see if it's bleeding excessively. You see it exactly like it is. Okay, so I'm gonna start my rapid, starting at the head. I'm gonna okay. check the head for anything. Okay. So what do you know about this patient so far? Uh, he was stabbed. And he's, he's okay. stable. He was stabbed. He's uh, stable? How do we know he's stable? See, here's the problem with trauma, and this is, this is the downside of what you're not getting with the lab days, is that we still need to go through this piece, the primary assessment, And with trauma, we see this, and we immediately jump to, there's a hole in him, let's just start with that. But we know what about BS name? Run me through that, Austin. So BSI, okay. we have to make sure that was if police was there. Ah, okay. <laughs> what else? That could be bad. Uh, a number of patients. That's another good question. Is anybody else hurt? If there's a stabbing, who knows how this goes? Maybe he protected himself, shot somebody else. Maybe two people got stabbed. We don't know what Where's the situation Where's the stabber? That goes to scene safe, right? So number of patients, right? What else are you thinking then? Keep going. Wait, so Greg, when we're... Sorry, backtrack. Um, with this, um, kind of with the... Uh, I don't know, I guess, okay, I also just kind of had a brain fart, so I don't really know where I was trying to go with that, so I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> okay. Right. I, I had a question, and then... If it, if it comes back to you, ask it, that's okay. Uh, okay, so, number of patient. Only him. Only him. And then the A, oh gosh, I'm on a brain fart again. Um... Additional ALS, um, probably be a good thing to call. Why? Because right now I can't start an IV, so if someone needs to start a line or something, it's going to be good to have someone there. Do you think that's the biggest problem? Uh, no. He also has a big knife in him that 
probably needs more advanced treatment than I can get. Okay, well, what am I going to do for him as a paramedic? Oh, you're just going to you're going to just do the same thing I would do and just wrap it and bring him in because we can't remove it or anything. Okay. Give him, give him meds. Well, okay, hold on. This is this is all about Edison right now. Okay, I'll ask for help in, in a little while. All right. So, all right, we got IV. We'll go from there. All right, M. Uh, mechanism of injury, uh, stab potential, internal damage. Okay, and then E. Uh, by the way, C spine. Think you need C spine? Um. Really? You have to pause at this. Yeah, probably because it's trauma. What? No, definitely no. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a definitely not kind of thing. He's he's sitting there. Unless you've got some kind of indicator that he had a major fall, a major crash, some type of head injury where he might have been sustained neck trauma, this guy doesn't need to have um, C-spine. Okay? Okay. Now let's get to our primary. Okay. So now I'm going to do a rapid. No, you're not. That is not part of the tor primary. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I showed up. He's awake. So he's that's Avpu. Yep. General impression. He's awake. He's what? I, I Sorry, I skipped general impression. Uh, uh, that's okay. Is he, is he serious or not serious? Serious. Okay. So, or stable, right? So currently he's sitting there. He's stable, but we are a, a very worried. He's priority, right? Yeah. Okay, keep going, Dan. Um, what am I missing? Airway. Oh, yeah. His airway was in. He was talking to me. Okay. Breathing was um, rapid. He was... Because the, well, the way you responded sounded like you were very... Okay. All right. Next. Regulation. Uh, oh, we're not there yet. Oh. Uh, uh, give, give O2. How much? Oxygen. Uh, 15 liters. Be a non breather just to treat because he's probably going to go into shock. Okay. Pretty in it. Now, Surgeon. what are you going to uh, do? Going to uh, wrap, um, wrap around it. Wrap around it. I apply pressure. Sorry, sorry. Apply pressure nope, around. We're not it. even there. Do Do we have massive bleeding coming out of this? Not massive. I mean, looking at the left picture down by his butt. I mean, there was definitely. There's bleeding. Is this arterial out. bleeding that needs to absolutely be controlled right now? No. What are the three components of C for circulation? Um, pulse. Pulse, and there's three things to check. Rate, rhythm, and quality. Good. What else? Um, if if blood's out, keep it in. Okay. First. And if, if the blood's out, keep it in. So, yeah, there's no, like... inside, if it's outside, fix it, right? Right. But what so skin? Too concerned with that. Um, I'm going to assess the color, the... Yeah, that... <laughs> Color, temperature, and condition of the skin. Does he look yeah. really diaphoretic? Uh, not from what I can see. Okay, does he look really pale? No. Okay, and 
then we're going to think about the temperature. We're going to say that it's warm. Okay. okay. So he's warm, pink, and dry. Okay. So now if we accomplish the C. Now it's now it's time for a rapid. No. Now it's time Damn. for D. Uh, um, yeah. Decide on transport priority. And you want to say this is a priority patient. We're going to move to rapid transport. Okay. Okay. Differential diagnosis, which for this is going to be stab wound to the thorax, right? And decide mm -hmm. on the exam, which is going to be rapid. Okay. Now we've completed our primary survey. Right? Gotcha. This is the problem in trauma, and we do this with our patients. We rouge them all up. We get them bloody, and you guys come in, and you do the exact same thing that Edison is doing right here. Um, is that you see the hole, you see the thing, and all of a sudden your brain goes to, there's a knife, we should wrap it and run. But if you don't start with all of this stuff up here, this patient will die before a knife wound gets packaged, right, potentially. Hey, Greg, you have to make sure that you know what's going on. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, just kind of national registry to cover. Are they looking for you to pretty much go through exactly like that and verbalize everything that we pretty much just went through? So, um, yes. Okay. So if you watched any of those videos that I suggested you do, I think Marissa was the only one that sent me um, a video, and it was okay. It's the EMT prep one. Um, you will see how they go through it. They go through it robotically. Hi, my name is Mike. I am with the ambulance. I have my BSI on. I have checked for scene safety. Is this the only patient that I have? I am going to call for ALS before even thinking at all. I am going to, right? This is, um, I mean, they are sheep bots. For us, we're going to have something like this is what I'm expecting we're going to do is I'm going to have a, um, I'm going to throw up a picture like this and I'm going to make you walk me through how you're going to manage this patient just like we are. And Austin, I know you're on the spot and it's tough to do this and we haven't practiced these skills at all. So I am not anything negative about that right now. I would expect that most people would be struggling at, at this point as well. Now that this is starting to kind of come back, I think it will be easier for the next one after you for sure. Um, but we have to treat this trauma victim through the primary until we get to that rapid, um, the same as we do any other patient, right? Right. So if you were to come in and say, hey, man, what's going on? I was uh, stabbed in the chest. Uh, okay, great. Um, how long ago did this happen, right? As you're saying, you know, you're doing a cut. I'm going to grab his wrist while he does this and feel his pulse, right? Um, it was five minutes ago. I, I called 911. I can't, I can't breathe. And then if I say, where are you at? You're like, okay, well, I got my BSI on. The cops said that it was clear to come in. Otherwise, I would have never ruled in on this. Is the only patient that I see. Is there anyone else that is in the room that I believe I need to address? Um, this is a thoracic injury, and I'm going to call ALS for this for a couple of reasons that I'm going to lay out later. Um, I have um, decided that this is a stab wound. I'm going to be checking him for additional injuries, but that's the mechanism of injury. It's with a knife. It is a... Um, low velocity injury and I don't need to have C-spine as he's sitting up at this point um, and I don't see any other facial trauma or anything else. My primary assessment, my general assessment says that this guy is a critical patient because this is a life-threatening injury. He is awake on his avpu. His airway appears to be patent as he's talking.
but regular. And when I was touching his skin, what did I find? Uh, it was uh, warm, dry, and appears acyanotic at this point. I right, great. This is a priority patient for for me. I have got a potential. I have a thoracic injury, and this guy's going to need surgery. So we're going to be doing a an immediate load and go with transport emergent to a trauma center, and I am going to be performing a rapid assessment uh, right now. That's how I would. Okay. Cool. That would get you all of the points that you would need so far. Because now I've kind of explained where I'm at with a patient from even just a little bit of a, and a, and a picture like this, right? And so we want to put together how we're going to treat a patient. And that's the piece that's been missing from this without the labs. But we're going to work on that moving forward. We're also going to be working on that with our time in 124 as we visiting, working with medical patients and trauma patients. Okay. Cool. Um, okay. So we've managed to get there. We've gotten where we're at. Jessica, you're up. Go. For the rapid assessment? Yep. So I'll do a head to knee, um, checking for any... Tell me what you're checking. I'm going to check the head, uh, palpate the head, behind okay, the head. no blood or, or deformity. No, no blood or... No decap. Remember the term... Hold on just a second. Remember the term decap, E-T-L-S? TLS, yeah. Um, deformity, <laughs> evisceration, contusion, abrasions, punctures, burns, tenderness, lacerations, and swelling, right? Right. So no. if I say no decap BTLS, so nothing on the head, what else? Go. Um, then I move down for the neck, checking for JVD. How about uh, the face? Oh, I'm going to... Check the face, uh, palpate around the cheeks and the mouth, maxilla, mandible, um, the jaw. Uh, move down to the clavicle here. and the chest. For any, well, I said inside there wasn't any fluid or anything, and I felt oh. behind the ears. Okay, copy that. Uh, so behind the ears, and you're going to look visually in the airway, right? Yes. Okay, good. Now you're at the neck. Uh, going down to the clavicle, see if anything neck. is broken, checking the chest for crepitus. Neck. Uh, check the neck for GVD. You started to say, yeah, there you go. You, you started to say it, which is maybe where you got off, but I, I, I want to get you from neck the rest of the way down. So no, no tracheal deviation, no JVD noted. Right. Why would we be thinking about, and I'm going to give this to um, Mark, okay? Why is she worried about JVD on this guy? Uh, if he's got perfusion problem, uh, or uh, severe difficulty breathing, he'd probably have some JVD going on. So what causes the JVD? Um, or, or, I'm drawing a blank, sorry. It's uh, okay. So I want you to think about this. So where's the blood in the jugular vein going to? Down to the lungs. Okay, now if there were poor perfusion, would that vein be pumped up? No, it would be the opposite, so... Okay, so what would make it pop up? If I were to take and squeeze my arm to make my veins pop up, what's making my veins pop up for an IV? Uh, the increased blood pressure. And the, the inability of blood to continue traveling towards the heart, right? Yeah. Okay, 
So, um, Marissa, what are you thinking about this? Then what caused the JVD? Oh, can you hear me? Yep. Um, because it's kind of right there by his left lung. Um, I don't know. Pneumothorax? David, you got something? Yeah, tension pneumothorax. Okay. Increased pressure in the thoracic cavity. One of two things. One, um, if he had a tension pneumothorax and the heart is being compressed and blood can't make it back to the heart, then that is something that could be causing jugular venous distension. Okay. The other thing could be is that if the heart had pericardial tamponade, right, and the heart's being compressed by fluid in the pericardial sac because that knife nicked something, then suddenly you could have JVD um, happening. So increased interthoracic pressure, pericardial tamponade. Now you can see this with heart failure patients too, but that's a completely different mechanism because in heart failure, things are backing up because the right side of the heart is um, not working. And so the blood can't flow into the right side of the heart because it's not dumping properly. In a traumatic situation, we're worried about increased interthoracic pressure and pericardial tamponade. If you look at this guy, are either one of those a potential option? Yes. Yes. Yeah, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, both of those are an option for this guy. So definitely a good reason to look for that. Now let's talk about tracheal deviation with um, a pneumothorax. When the lungs collapse, okay, this way. Right? Greg, I thought we learned um, just the decap was, was straight from um, deformities to contusions. Did you say there was something for the E? I, I don't remember ever seeing an oh, E. evisceration, sorry. I had oh. the E. But you're right, it is just the, your side is just the D. I had the E okay. for evisceration. Okay. A, but we don't need to know that? No. Okay. Okay. Now, if, if this is going on and this lung has a hole in it, all right, whether you have a sucking airway letting air or a sucking chest wound letting air in, or you've got a hole, a bleb, uh, a knife wound or something like that, and you've sealed this up and the air is leaking out of the lung and it starts to um, compress the lung, switch to color that do that, and it's pushing in on the lung like this. As this happens and it moves further this way, your trachea actually starts to shift. You will see what's called tracheal deviation. That is an exceedingly late sign. Most of the time that patient's either dead or just about dead by the time that trachea has moved. Just think about where the, think about where that is, that it's got to shift all the way over to here, right, to start to see that tracheal deviation. You'll see it on the lowest part first. But tracheal deviation is something that you'll look for when it comes to, um, you know, uh, attention pneumothorax, right? All right, so uh, you looked at the neck then, right? And there's no tracheal deviation. There's no JVD noted at this time. Continue. Jess? Sorry. Uh, we moved to the chest to so, assess yeah, for back any Back to your clavic clavicles, where you're at. What are you looking for at the clavicles? If they're broken or if they're okay. symmetrical. There's one more thing you're looking for at the, at the clavicles. What are we looking for? Oh, stand. Oh, for fuck's sakes. Seriously. Anybody? Crepitus. So the crepitus is what she's talking about at the fractures. 
air bubbles? Yeah, sub, subcutaneous emphysema. You're you're looking for that oh, yeah. feeling, right? Could that be um, something you would find with this patient? So when we were doing our um, assessments, one of the guys said that um, I can't remember his name, but he said that the, the air bubbles and stuff they, they call it the same thing as um, crepitus, feeling for broken bones, and for feeling those little air things like the Rice Krispies, he said that both of that was called crepitus. I, I will allow a yes on that. It's not quite actual. What you're feeling for is subcutaneous emphysema, which is the feeling of air moving under there, and that's not the same feeling as crepitus. Crepitus is the feeling of bone on bone. Yeah, that's um, what that's what they, I thought, but it was kind of weird. They may say that. They may use that terminology. Um, but there's a difference between simple crepitus and subcutaneous emphysema. Right? Okay. A clavicle and having crepitus is very different than having subcutaneous emphysema, which says that you have a leak of air in your lung or your trachea somewhere that's causing air to get into that subcutaneous tissue. Now, back to this, though. Is subcutaneous air a possibility for this patient? Absolutely. Absolutely. You have a hole. It's probably gone into a lung. So definitely in there. Okay. All right, Tristan, we've made it to the clavicles go. Um, from there, I'm gonna just feel extremities, um, like go through the, from the arms down to the fingers. So from, from here, you're gonna go to extremities on a rapid exam? Uh, I guess I'd just go down the, well, I'd go down the back and look at the knife wound, I guess. In there. Okay, so we, we touched his chest, we ran around to the back, we see this. What do you want to do with it? Um, probably package it with... Stop. Now? Is, is packaging that part of a rapid exam? No, I guess just look at it. Okay, what do we do with a rapid exam? Um, palpate. We look for life threats, right? Yeah, that's the life okay. threat. Well, great. How do you? How did you miss the one that uh, is stabbed in his uh, in his groin, and he's dying from that, from the femoral bleed? How'd you miss that, Tristan? Because I didn't go down the chest. Because you didn't do the rapid. See what I mean? Yeah. Just like triage, there is a method to this process. So do you go? Do you do you check the back last then, or? Yes. Okay. Okay. I mean, if I've got the, if I, if, if he's sitting up like this, I'm obviously not going to lay him down supine, right? Yeah. But I'm going to go through and I'm going to feel up here. I'm going to put my hands on his chest. I'm going to have him take a breath and feel for symmetrical motion. Because if I've got one side of the chest that's not expanding quite the same way, that's another good indicator that there's a problem, right? Okay. Inside. I'm going to palp his belly because what else is happening? What else is right? What's tucked away right here? His kidneys. His kidney. Could we have damaged a great vessel? How long is this knife? What angle is it in right now versus what angle was it in initially? We don't know. What's straightforward of that knife if it goes in between the lungs? The aorta, his inferior vena cava, could that cause abdominal bleeding? Yeah. Could that be identified by palpation of the abdomen, finding it firm, guarding? What's forward that sits right here on that side? 
that's forward and comes back pretty close to that backboard, tucked up, backbone tucked up under the lung. The liver. The liver, right? Now do you guys see what I'm looking at in this? Is that this is a patient we have to do a full rapid exam on to make sure that we're not missing stuff. And it's that process of um, keeping this all put together, right? All right, so Tristan, I'm gonna start you again. We just finished clavicles. So I'm gonna move down to the chest and yeah, check for like any distension and uh, feel um, feel his chest rise and and palpate that. At this point, he has symmetry okay. in his chest. And I'll move down his abdomen and palpate um, the quadrants. Okay, so you palpate. Is there any quadrant you want to start with first? Um, I would say probably the like right upper or left upper. Um, sure. Okay, and you find his abdomen to be soft and non-tender. Next. Okay. Um, you said. I mean, if there's no bleeding coming from the groin area or anything, I guess you can kind of move on from that. You're still going to palpate his, his pelvis. Yeah, uh, yeah, palpate pelvis, and then what? what is it where... Is, is that what that's called, where you press down on their actual, like, um, their, their bones, their... Um, iliac crests? Iliac crests, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um... So if that's the case and he's sitting there, I'm just going to squeeze his hips a little bit and ask him if he has any kind of discomfort when I do that. Does it hurt down here at all? Okay. Then I'm going to feel his thighs because he's sitting on a table right now. We'll assume he's sitting on a you know, a lawn chair or, or a bench or something. You can feel his upper thighs and make sure that there's no injuries there. And now we're done except for one more thing, which is part of the rapid, which we get all the time, which is what? Um... Uh... The, uh, the um, mid-axillary. Mid-axillary. And then the back. No. Oh, 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 you're feeling, you're auscultating? There you go. You need to auscultate for breath sounds in a rapid. I was going to do that initially um, from the clavicle down, but would you save that to the end? So, okay, if I'm rolling through this... Um, and I'm doing, okay, I'm going to feel the head, the face, jaw, neck, look for JVD, tracheal deviation, feel up here for subcutaneous emphysema more than a broken clavicle is what I'm looking for is a sub-Q air. I'm going to have to take a deep breath here. I'm going to palp, 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 feel the hips, feel the legs, get my stethoscope on. Okay. It was four more seconds to do the abdomen and the legs and be done with it and then throw that stethoscope in my head instead of throw that stethoscope in my head and start with this. And then taking it off. And then take it off and go back. Okay, that makes sense. So I always do my rapids the exact same way. You should always do your rapids the exact same way. The deal is is that if you do that, you never miss things. Just like when you give a medication, okay, here's your nitro. I just want to make sure you have no problem taking nitroglycerin. You're not on any erectile dysfunction meds and you haven't taken any today, right? Here's your aspirin. Just want to make sure you're not allergic to aspirin, right? You haven't had any aspirin today, correct? Because that way you know that, oh, well, no, I already took two baby aspirin today. Oh, well, let's just give you two of these for them. And that 
will bring you up to your full dose. If you do it the same way all the time, where care improves. Okay. So the rapid is done, right? And we've managed to get from here to here. The only thing we, and we're going to then do the posterior side, right? And we just kind of pop around on the back and take a look. And I'm going to feel down the neck and, and such. And I'm going to be real gentle as I feel, you know, um, down these different areas around that knife. But I'm going to gently touch around that knife to see what kind of swelling I have and if he's got any pain or sensation in there, right? The other thing is that as I'm pushing on his legs, I'm also asking if he can feel it. Because if we think about where our dermatome for this is, that's going to be about mid-waist, mid-pelvic, right? And so if he can't feel his um, his legs at this point, I'm pretty concerned about that being a spinal injury, right? Yeah. Okay. I was, was going to ask, um, when you do transport this guy... Um, What's, like, the, the best method to get him, like, from this sitting position to chair to stretcher? Like, I, I don't know. Is it, is it like, because, okay, so if you do have something like a spinal cord injury. Well, if he, if he has a spinal cord injury, then that's different. And I'm probably going to place him um, prone on a board, right? Because okay. at that point, but if it's a transection or something like that, he's probably hosed already. But I'm probably going to put him in a seat collar prone on a board, keeping his head up as best I can. Right? This is a weird injury. I'm not going to just sit him on the ambulance where every time we hit the brakes, he you know, rams that knife further into his chest. I'm probably going to try to have him lay something like this where he's, he's prone um, on the pram and still secure him to the pram. I'm going to stabilize that knife with bulky dressing and put wads of four by four on either side and then tape to try to keep it still as much as I can, right? So after our rapid is done, which is on the ambulance, we're then going to get a set of vital signs, right? The heart rate's 112. The blood pressure is 128 over 74. Um, and the... Uh, respiration rates are about 30. Okay. Now, if this um, Shelby were a patient and there were multiple people who were staffed and you were doing triage, what would this guy be um, triaged as? Um, immediate. His nope. um, respiratory is over 30. Not over 30. Oh, it is 30. So, be. Okay, here, let me make it easier. 28. Um, I'd say yellow because his respiratory is under 30. He has a good pulse, right? Good pulse, it's, and he's... No middle status. Yeah, no middle status change. He's less than 30. This guy is going to be um, delayed. Regardless of that big knife sticking out of his chest, he's delayed right now. Okay. If this were an explosion and instead of that being a knife, it were a piece of rebar, he's still delayed. Right? So, when you get this guy off to the hospital, our treatments are going to be um, watching for a pneumothorax. Let's talk about a pneumothorax. This is kind of how I want to move forward today as we're talking about all these different um, you know, pieces as far as trauma. A pneumothorax... If this, because this is here, we already know this is a low velocity um, type of injury, right? A stab wound is low velocity. 
medium velocity. What, what things are usually medium velocity? Gunshot. What's that? Like a gunshot, small gun. Like a handgun. Most yeah. handguns are medium velocity. Long rifles are usually a high velocity type injury. Okay, and the injury pattern with those um, are, is that cavitation that as the uh, um, bullet goes through, it expands around and causes more damage. And you have to think about things like profile tumble, all the different things that are happening with that um, uh, projectile as, as it travels through the body. The other thing is you need to think about which direction it takes because you could have something that goes in, hits a bone, and then bounces off and takes a completely different thing. We've seen people that are um, shot in the groin that have holes in their neck. We have seen people who are shot in the chest and we find the bullet down by their knee. Well, that's a big path to travel, right? And all the energy and everything else that's um, happening on the outside of that, that's going to be um, kind of problematic. So pneumothorax, if this were just simply a hole in his chest and there was no knife there, what would we be worried about? Air leakage. Air leakage. And what do we call air getting pulled into that wound? Sucking chest wound. Yeah, that's a sucking chest wound. So how do we treat a sucking chest wound? Occlusive dressing with only three sides sealed off. Yes, occlusive dressing, three sides sealed off. Now for him, you're probably still going to transport him in a supine position. So if he's got a hole on his back and you tape on (laughs) three sides, okay, really need to watch for that to develop into a tension pneumothorax because you may have plugged and really stopped that by the time you've put pressure on on the rest of this you might actually make it so that that air can't escape how do we know that a simple pneumothorax has become a tension blood pressure drops yeah when it affects the heart right? Heart rate goes up, blood pressure drops off, it's compression on it, you can start to see things like JVD associated with that, you may see tracheal deviation with that, but the blood pressure drops, the the heart rate continues to climb, the um, respirations continue to climb, that severe shortness of breath, and now instead of having diminished breath sounds on one side, you tend to have absent breath sounds on one side, because that lung isn't inflating at all anymore, And that was one of the things that talking about chest quiz was that, you know, now you've got a patient, now his breath sounds are absent. Once they're absent, that's when we start to consider that this has now become a um, tension pneumothorax. Okay? Questions about that? Sweet. Okay. So this next piece right here, this shows you where that knife actually is on x-ray. Now, again, here's his manubrium and his clavicle coming off of there, or I'm sorry, that's his manubrium. This is his clavicle up here, uh, the gladiolus xiphoid process. Um, his lung would be in this space right here, heart in the mediastinum, um, further that direction. And then um, if you look, that knife actually managed to come in and it did not hit anything vital. Um, that we can tell and there could be some spinal nerves up close to here. Most of those are coming out this way and wrapping forward, though. So this guy got really lucky in how this um, happened. This is why, when we think of triage, why even though this guy has a knife in his chest, he's not marked as immediate because this knife isn't really killing him. Okay? Angle of knife, 
length of blade. Those are all things that we want to think about. Now, if we were to take this same length of blade and rotate it up here and put it straight in, you see the difference in damage this could make? If you were to put that on either side of there, instead of coming straight through the backbone, but take it through, you could very easily get in to the lung space. So you want to think about how big that knife is. You want to think about how, um, you know, how hard that came in, what angle could it be, and that cone of damage. Because if I've got a knife that's this long, that means that it can go anywhere from here to here, right? Because if I stuck it in at that angle or I stuck it in at this angle, any of that stuff could be damaged. How much do you care that that's a serrated blade versus straight edge? Um, not a lot, honestly. Um, and that's really what you're seeing is the spark of the x-ray being reflected off that knife. If you were to come over here and look at this, um, sorry, I got the pin in my hand. It's bad. I can't, I can't blow it up today for some, oh, now it wants to do it. There we go. You can see that that's not really serrated. Um, that just has to do with the, the okay. radiation coming off that piece. Okay. Okay. Um, let's see here. Other chest injuries. A couple of other things. What's another chest injury that we need to talk about? segment yes i was just starting to write that down f-l-a-i-l segment what is a flail segment um let's see here Megan. can you hear me yep okay so a flail segment um isn't that usually when more than one rib is fractured or separated close it's two or more so, ribs okay Fractured in two or more places. Thanks, Austin. Yeah, thank you, Austin. <laughs> yeah, yours sounded more correct. My mine sounded a little sarcastic. Um, yeah, two or more ribs broken in two or more places creates a flail segment. So if you think about this, and you've got ribs come through. You've got that piece like this. Okay. Um, this is something that's going to be unstable. Okay. So this piece in there can actually move. Um, in and out, and what's the motion that we call that? Uh, let's see if we talk to Robin. You haven't said much yet. Paradoxical movement. Paradoxical motion. So ex explain that to me. What's happening? <laughs> um, so it's moving kind of opposite of what your normal chest movement would be. So when you breathe in and your chest expands, it goes inward, and then when you breathe out, it goes outward. Right, so how come it comes in when we breathe in? Because we are sucking in, and that is expanding the 
Nine. You're close. You're so close. Think suction. Yeah, because we're sucking in, and so it's going the negative pressure. Yes, strong. <laughs> so you've got negative pressure. So as you're breathing in and you're expanding your chest and you're, you're bringing your diaphragm down, it creates negative pressure. And so the air rushes in through your nose and mouth, but because there's suction, your bones bridge the suction but that little piece will pop in because there's nothing to keep it attached. So as you breathe in, that piece sucks in. As you breathe out, it pops out. It doesn't push out, generally speaking. It just pops back kind of into normal. So every time you take a breath in, that section kind of collapses in. You've seen that on some of the videos that um, I put up. Some of those. All right? So yeah, flail cycle. What's our treatment for that? anyone get them to the hospital that's the right treatment yeah who said that mark mark good uh yeah get them to the hospital remember we showed you that they used to actually take and put pins under there and through the skin to hold all that stuff in place anymore we don't do that we used to do sandbags we used to do bulky dressings and tape it so that it didn't move around a bunch we don't mess with it at all what we do want to worry about though is that that's a potential life threat because if there are sharp bones that are popping in and out, it can cause lacerations, which can cause bleeding. It could lacerate a lung, which could cause what? Spontaneous. Spontaneous. New Spontaneous. Okay. Um, the word spontaneous. This is one that got a couple people on the on the chest quiz. Is that spontaneous pneumothorax happens spontaneously? There's a weakness in the lung. The pleb explodes. A cough. A little pop. Something like that. This is not spontaneous. This would be on the other side of trauma, whether it's a gunshot wound, a knife wound, a broken rib that punctures a lung. That's not spontaneous, right? There's a specific starting point for that. It didn't just happen. So there was a there was a specific cause. Okay. So um, we've talked about pneumothorax, tension pneumothorax, flail segment, and we've talked about pericardial tamponade, which is where the heart in here is being compressed by fluid, and we understand that okay? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. I like it. Um, let's see here. Okay. You show up on scene, and there's a gentleman who was run over by a semi-truck. This is what you have. Um, Jordan, go. You know, we're talking about things like falls greater than um, 20 feet. Uh, when we talk about automobile accidents, we think about mechanism of injury as far as things that are um, a uh, mass times velocity squared divided by two and what kind of process that's creating. We think about if a car is moving one rate at 30 miles an hour and they get rear-ended at 50 miles an hour, that's about a 20 mile an hour impact versus 50 versus 50 gives you 100. Um, so think about those types of things. Uh, when we think about cars, we think about a deceleration impact or an acceleration impact. Deceleration is a car hitting something um, and it crumpling up against kind of like a tree. Your first impact is going to be the what? Oh, 
deceleration. The car hitting the, the, car hitting the tree. <laughs> Thank you, Edison. And the next impact is going to be the body collision. Body hitting the steering wheel, airbag, or seatbelt. And the third collision is the internal organs hitting that front side of the body. Okay, definitely. Falls over 20 feet, we start to think about what? How are they going to land? Feet first. Feet. feet first, because they're trying. What about a small child who falls uh, like 15, 20 feet? How are they going to land? Head first, because they're big heads. Yes, head first, because they're big heads. They're like little lawn darts, right? So we think about those things. Uh, when it comes to blasts and injuries from blasts, what's the first injury from a blast? Is that the primary phase? The primary phase, but what constitutes the primary phase? Pressure wave, right? Is that pressure wave hitting you uh, and that first initial force? It's amplified in small areas, so if a pressure wave is going through an alley, that can amplify it. It can turn corners. It can move around things. Um, so we have to be aware of what we're doing. Second wave or the second injury is what? Flying debris. Now, whether that's shrapnel that's been put into a pipe bomb, as far as screws and uh, nails and ball bearings and stuff like that, or whether that's debris off the ground, like rocks and stuff that's being picked up by the blast, that debris is your second injury. What's the tertiary injury? Uh, patient falling from the blast. Yeah, the, the travel from the blast. So you falling down, you getting thrown up against a wall into a car onto the ground, something like that. Um, and then some people actually add in a fourth, which has to do with either the radiological or thermal effects of the blast, which are the burns. Uh, but you definitely need to know those first three. Okay. Hey, Greg, what was the first degree of it? That I didn't the get last that. last wave. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, when we come to bleeding, if I said we had bleeding that was a slow oozing, what kind of bleeding would that be? Venous. Venous. Capillary. Capillary. Bleeding would be described as steady, steady flow. flow. Yeah, like a steady flow. Okay. Um, arterial would be described generally as flying out. Flying out. So if I write flying out on the test. <laughs> spurting. Spurting. Yeah, spurting, pulsing, something like that. Um, those, those are words that you would probably use for arterial bleeding. Obviously, the most life-threatening of those is the, um, let's see, arterial bleeding. How are you going to manage that? First step is? Pressure. Pressure. Direct pressure. If that doesn't work. Tourniquet. Tourniquet. How far up ahead are you going to tie that? Two to three inches. Or if you can't be sure where the wound is. Iron tight. Iron tight. See, the whole thing that I had set up there with the dude with the legs, it had all the answers right there. Thank you. Thank you, But we do it this way, too. That's fine. I don't mind at all. Um, we understand hemorrhagic shock. Some of the classic signs of hemorrhagic shock are what? Uh, tachycardia. Okay, so tachycardia. Low blood pressure. Low blood pressure. So there, here's the trick, is that when we get to low blood pressure, what has it become? It's narrowing, isn't it? 
Yeah. Not necessarily. I mean, there's a little bit of that, but we don't consider it a narrowing pulse pressure in hypovolemic shock. Um, we think of narrowing pulse pressures as being um, like where the heart's being compressed, right? Uh, and it's not able to do it. It's squeezing up the diastolic while the systolic is coming down. What happens in the initial stages is that the um, systolic and diastolic both go up a little bit because the heart's working harder and more effectively. It's also causing a squeeze of the vessels, which is increasing diastolic. And so as those two go up, the problem is that that systolic can't maintain and then they kind of start to drop together. But once that, um, once that blood pressure starts to drop, now we're considered what phase of shock? Decompensated. Decompensated. Because the whole process is, is that as we're compensating and we're keeping that pressure where it's supposed to be, that's compensated shock. If the blood pressure drops off and the heart rate's still going up, now we're in that decompensated shock phase. That's where we really get into trouble. When the heart rate starts dropping and the blood pressure's still down, now we're pushing that irreversible shock. That's the difference, right? Um, let's see. What is an epistaxis? Nosebleed. Yeah, it's nosebleed. Where how are we going to manage that? Finish the bridge of the nose, lean forward. Very good. And that's good for what kind of um, nosebleed? Anterior. Anterior. Yeah, good. Anterior nosebleed. Um, so an anterior epistaxis. If it's a posterior epistaxis, that's a harder one. And what are you going to do to kind of help assess for that? I don't know. Look in their throat. Yeah, look in their throat. Okay, you're gonna look for that bleeding in the back of their throat. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's see. What is ecchymosis? It's coloration of skin. Okay, so it's blue. Maybe. Blue is discoloration of skin. Red is a discoloration of skin. How's that bruising? Bruising. All right. So you're right. So cyanosis is that bluish color. Uh, erythemic is the reddish color. But ecchymosis is what we're going to consider bruising. It is usually a discoloration of the skin. And it progresses. New bruises tend to be like a, a dark purple and reddish color. As they begin healing, um, they turn kind of that yellowish, greenish color. Um, they're watch for that when we think about things like non-accidental trauma in kids for sure what is a contusion bruise bruising to the brain right well it could be bruising anywhere right a contusion is a bruise you can have contusion to the brain you can have a contusion to the lung right we can have a contusion to the heart we talked about that causing cardiac dysrhythmias and we talked about that having um know a possibility of weakened heart which can decrease flow so those are our contusions so um, hypnosis, then um like the actual bruising itself so then the contusion is what causes the bruising contusion is the actual bruising itself ecomosis is a description of the coloring Dis okay description of okay huh? more that way um, let's see here. What is a hematoma? Blood build up under the skin. Yeah. Blood yeah. filling up under the skin. Like standing up and hitting your head on the counter. Something like that. Um, 
that goose egg that you get, getting punched in the face and having blood, having that swelling, that's a hematoma. Crush injuries, I think, are pretty straightforward. Um, when we think about um, crush injuries, what's one of the things that we talk about? What's one of the signs of crush injuries? Internal bleeding. Okay, could be internal bleeding. And we think and we worry about circumferential stuff, right? Because if it's crushed and it's injured on both sides of, of the arm or all the way around the arm or the leg, then we start thinking about things like compartment syndrome, right? Let's see here. There's another one. Oh, I'll put that in with head injury. Um, yeah, the battle sign in the raccoons, that's part of head injury, right? Yes. Um, so, and, and we can talk about that now, um, but the battle sign, what's battle sign? Discoloration behind the ear. Yeah, the mastoid process back in here. And then the raccoon's eyes, that's in, in here where you see the bilateral black eyes, and that really has to do with um, basal skull fracture is what we're worried about. The things we see with that are like um, clear fluid from the ears or diluted looking blood from the nose, that's cerebral spinal fluid. What's our test to see if it really is cerebral spinal fluid? You taste it. You taste it, absolutely, Dave. That's that's the way to roll. And it tastes very sweet and sugary, right? Um, good on pancakes, but you need a lot of it, so you're probably going to need to crack two or three people to get enough to really make it you know, good syrup <laughs> out of that. Or you could try the, the target test, <laughs> drop that on a on a white sheet, and you'll see the blood will spread out a little bit, and then the, the halo effect will happen around that in cerebral spinal fluid because it doesn't clot up the same. All right. Um, let's see here. We know what abrasions are, lacerations. What's an avulsion? It's flapping. Yeah, it's a flap, Jess. It's, it's a flapping of the skin. And what are we going to do to treat that? Put it back. Put it back and dress yeah. it. Put it back and dress it, right? You're going to do a dressing and bandaging on it and make it look nice and pretty as much as we can. Um, penetrating wounds, we know about those. What's the difference between a, a puncture and a perforation? Puncture is from the outside in and perforation is from the inside out. Okay, not quite. Puncture goes in. Perforation goes through. Oh. So if I were to take a pencil and I were to stab it into my hand, it's a puncture wound. If I stab it through my hand, it's now a perforation, right? And that's nothing that I'm going to trust you on. It's just something that's a, one of those differences that's out there um, that you should know about because you're smarter than everybody else, and that's what I will do. Okay? Um, what do we do with impaled objects? Leave them. When can we take out an impaled object? Airway. Cheek or the airway. But only if it's obstructing the airway, right? That's the only time we worry about that. Um, okay, occlusive dressings. When do we use them? There are three places we use inclusive dressings. Give me one who hasn't talked much. Maya, I don't think you've said anything yet today, have you? No, I don't think so. 
What is one use for an occlusive dressing? Where would you use it? Um, on a sucking chest wound. Sucking chest wound is one. Noel. Another use for an occlusive dressing? Oh, um, sorry, Greg. Um, abdominal wounds. Box is lining up, but I'm not oh, hearing you. How about um, Mark? She said she said abdominal wound. Um, yeah, we could we could hear. Um, she said she said abdominal wound. You are correct. An abdominal evisceration after you apply a moist sterile dressing first, right? And then what's the third one, um, Matt? You need it, my friend. Matt, you're still on mute. There you go. One more spot. Uh, what? I don't know. Neck injuries. <laughs> How about neck injury? <laughs> it's okay. Um, they gave you the hardest one last. So yeah, the neck injury, because we worry about air getting sucked in through that inferior vena cava, right? So, um, there you go. What do we do with an amputation, Vanessa? Um, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Good. Um, uh, I guess first to make sure you can locate the body part. It's it's in your hand. Oh, it's in my hand. Okay. Um, let's see. Is it going to be bleeding a lot? It's the finger. Just a finger. The finger. Okay. Um. And the, and remember, anything that's amputated won't be bleeding much because there's no blood supply to it at this point, right? Yeah. I guess would you just dress it, or dress it, or bandage it? Okay, so first step is you're going to wrap it up in some gauze. What's the next step, Mark? Uh, then make sure it can't get wet and put it on ice. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. So put it in a bag or something and then put that bag on ice. We never put ice directly on the piece. You never put the, the body part directly, you know, on, on a cold pack or otherwise, right? So wrap it, put it in a plastic baggie, put that baggie on a cool pack and take it to the hospital with the patient. You always want to take as much of the patient as you can. Um, in the case of the dude that got run over by the uh, um, semi-truck that we were looking at, if you've got that lower leg, you should take it with you. Um, we had a guy who we used to call Nacho Man. He used to wander around Commerce City all the time, late at night with nachos. Uh, he would go to 7-Eleven, he would get nachos, and he'd just be drunk AF, and he'd wander around. we go, what's up, nachos? And he'd be like, hey! We're like, you going to make it home tonight? He's like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> All right, cool. So one night, Nacho Man was walking home and didn't quite make it. He fell asleep on the train tracks. And um, uh, actually, you know, I've got pictures of this one. He, uh, the train came along and his legs were over the edge. The train came along, clipped his legs off right about the knees, both of those. When we took him to the hospital. We had his legs in trash bags because he 
something to fit a leg in. And I walked in, I'm like, hey, where do you want these? Like, I just throw them with the stuff. I'm like, mm, no, you're going to want these. <laughs> Maybe. Um, he ended up not surviving, and it wasn't actually the amputation because there was actually pretty minimal bleeding that was associated with that. Um, but he, when the train ran over his legs and he woke up, he sat up, and one of the wheel pieces came along and chopped him in the head, and he had a big mm-hmm. depressed skull fracture, and that's actually when he died from but do take those pieces to the hospitals. Okay? Burns. Superficial burn. What's a standard superficial burn, David? Uh, sunburns. Sunburns, yeah. What are we going to do for sunburns? Low bear. Nothing. Call the ambulance, right? Because that's what they really need. <laughs> um, yeah, there's really there's no real big treatment for us. You can cool the burn initially and then, you know, try some Motrin or Tylenol. When you get into partial thickness burns, what is the equivalent degree for that, um, Alex? It'd be a second degree burn. Yeah, it'd be a second degree burn. And what are the characteristics of that? Um, let's see. Uh, it hasn't gotten to the point where it's not painful anymore. Nope. See redness, redness swelling, uh, blistering. First degree, right? What? What differentiates? What's the big thing that changes it? Um, let's see here. Jesus to a second degree burn. First to second? Yep. What's Would it the be difference? Blistering? Yeah, now we have blistering. And so for the partial thickness, we kind of have a superficial partial thickness, which is where you just get the beginnings of blisters. The deep partial thickness, which is where you're starting to get pretty significant. We saw some different examples of those. And then you get to full thickness burn. So what's our degree equivalent to that, Turbo? Third degree. Third degree. What are the characteristics of third degree burn? Um, it doesn't really hurt anymore, and the skin turns leathery. Okay. So why do they keep screaming, Kara? Because it's scary. <laughs> Because it's scary. Ah! Yeah, it is scary, but um, why does it hurt if they can't feel it anymore? Um, the, like, inner part of it, they can't, the outer layer, like, they can still feel. Okay, so the area where there is second-degree burn around the third-degree burn mm-hmm. is what hurts. So first-degree burns, we can cool the burns. In fact, all of them, we can start by cooling the burn with simple water. And then we need to make sure that the patient stays what? Warm. 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 Which seems really counterintuitive for somebody with a burn, but they can become hypothermic pretty quickly in this just because of everything else. We did the thing on burn shock, and one of the pieces that um, didn't get really mentioned as much as I wanted it to was that when you have burn, you have direct um, vessel damage associated with the burns, but then you also have, um, you know, that mast cell production and the cytokines that are going through that are causing the capillary permeability, that leakage, uh, the loss of albumin, and so you have a problem maintaining the muscular capacitance, the fluid leaks out because you don't have that osmotic pressure to keep all that in. Um, so, yeah, and burn shock can be pretty bad. What do we do with cortical burns, Spencer? This comes to my waiter days. I wait till you, you know, 
take a bite and then ask you a question. <laughs> I, I didn't hear the question, though. <laughs> chemical burns. What do we do with chemical burns? Oh, man. Um, get them away from whatever caused the burn and then, like, flush with water for at least 20 minutes for the most part. Okay. And what are our concerns, Doug, when we're thinking about chemicals to the eyes? Uh, you rinse it from the inside. Uh, it comes out the outside. Yeah, rinse from the inside to the outside so it doesn't go across the other eye. Uh, and it's called the inner canthus, right? To the outer canthus. That's the point where your eye, lower and upper eyelids come together. Um, electrical burns. What are our concerns about that, Tristan? Um, dysrhythmias. Problems. Yeah, yeah because... You can end up in cardiac arrest on the other side of electrical stuff. Um, those people actually have a pretty good survivability if you can get involved, get some CPR, and get an AED on there. So things to think about. Um, let's see. Bandaging and dressing is pretty straightforward. Oh, anything that is a partial thickness or a full thickness burn, what kind of dressing do we need to be using on them? Doesn't have any particles. I don't know the terminology would be, but... Okay, so no particles, and you want to use dry, sterile dressings. Why is it that we go dry and you don't use, like, a semi-moist one? Say that again? Uh, my question is just why. Why do you go with a dry one versus, like, a moist one with saline solution or something? Um, because the saline actually cools them off. It's an evaporative process. You mm. want to just be dry, and then under that burn sheet that is a nice particle-free burn sheet, um, I would rather, instead of, like blanket i would use a sheet sheet like a hospital linen sheet is usually pretty good it's not going to get like stuck into the burn you don't want that healing in as much um burn sheets are definitely the best though and they're sterile because once you start breaking all that skin now you have a, new, a bigger point of infection and where do burn victims go to the trauma center to the trauma center burns go to trauma because trauma trumps burn centers then they'll get transferred to a burn unit later um there is nowhere in america that has emergency rooms that are specially designed you know for burns it's not like oh there are so many people getting burns that we have to have a specific emergency room for them so you need to think trauma center then they will go to the burn unit the unit is a specific area within the hospital usually they're specialized ones like university is our burn and it is actually a regional burn center so okay let's see here definitely should know the rule of nines right how much is the whole head 18 nine. nine whole head is nine so the front of the head is four and a half the back of the head is four and a half four and a half my entire right arm is nine my entire torso is 18. 18 in the front, in the back, 18 in the back. So the whole torso really is 36, okay? So know your rule of nines. How much is the genitalia? One. Yeah, one. Four. Uh, let's see here. Muscular skeletal things, what do ligaments do? Bone to bone. 
bone to bone and what connects muscle to bone? Tendons. Tendons. Tendons, okay. Um, for us, a fracture, sprain, a strain, or a dislocation, um, how do we treat those differently? Fracture, you splint, sprain, uh, you just stabilize Use rice. some dirt on it. Yeah. <laughs> Use the rice technique for a sprain. So here's the deal. We don't know which is which without an x-ray. I have seen people walk on broken ankles before. Obviously not severely broken ankles, but ones that actually have cracks and are still being held in place by either like part of the periosteum or um, you know, just really good ligament, ligaments and muscles. I have seen partial fractures. There's a lot of different bits and pieces out there. We treat them the same. We're going to splint them and we can give some, some rice treatment to them, some rest elevation. Rest elevation. Compression. Compression. We treat them all the same. All the same. We need to split we things in the position they are found. Uh, for the most part. And um, if they are in a weird position, we're going to go ahead and split them in that weird position. If they don't have a pulse, what should we be doing? I have a fractured leg and you can't find a pedal pulse. I have no um, cap refill in my foot. What should you do? Apply a little bit of traction. Close. Try to realign it. There you go. Realign it. Your traction idea is kind of right, but it's not about the traction so much as it is about realigning using, uh, moving it into the proper direction, right? Uh, when you think of traction, which fracture really needs to have traction on it? Mm -hmm. Femur. Yeah, femur. <laughs> Vanessa, I like it. You're on mute, but you, you're, I'll still move just right with this, so it's good. Um, so femur is absolutely the right answer. Now, remember, femur fractures are about mid-shaft closed femur fractures, right? That's when we're going to be busting in that, that traction splint. What if they also have a knee injury? Can you use a traction splint? No. 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 If they have a lower leg injury, ankle injury? Oh. No. Not going to do any of that, so only an isolated. Now, technically, we've got three different types of traction splints that we talked about. One of them was the hair traction splint. That's the one that has the butt bumper that slides up underneath the leg and supports and cradles the leg. That's by far the most common that's out there. We had the Sager. The Sager's the one that goes right up the middle and fits up against uh, the perineum, basically is where it's kind of trying to head. Um, and that's actually good for what we call a proximal third, so closer up to the hip. And then... Um, we have that Kendricks one, which is super cool, and that's the one that I like because it's light and portable and does a pretty good job. But again, that's for a mid-shaft femur fracture. So, okay. Uh, let's see, we talked about no pulses. Pelvic fracture, what do we do for a pelvic fracture? Palpate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Priapism. Say other keywords. What else? Can apply compression. <laughs> ah, you have a femur fracture. No, no. Like What's the hand position for, for pelvic compressions? <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't ask. <laughs> you wrap like a pechy around it. So, um, sorry, filter's really bad today. The Yeah, you're going to use either a pelvic wrap, right? So either a uh, mechanical preformed one 
um, like the the Sam pelvic split is good, or you could do the sheet wrap. Did you guys see the video of the firefighters using doing the actual sheet wrap? Yep. That's a really yeah. good thing to know um, how to do that. Most people know how to wrap it, but they don't know how to tie it. I would definitely go back if you're not 100% on that. Review that. Why are we so worried about a pelvic fracture? Why is this such a life threat? You lose There's a lot of blood. Yeah, a lot of blood. Two liters in your pelvis, which for you know anybody who's not a big person is about half their volume already. That already drops you in a decompensated shock. So, yeah, it's it's considered a life threat. And if it were something that were in um, uh, a scenario, if I were giving you a scenario and there was a pelvic fracture and you didn't treat it um, as a life threat and fix it right there, like if we find that on a um, rapid exam, you're probably going to still feel the tops of the thighs, but then you're going to say, I'm going to immediately have somebody put a pelvic wrap on that um, because that's a life threat. They can bleed enough. Just compressing that, you bring all of that back together and you stop the area where they have to bleed. It does a much better job. Um, let's see here. A couple other things about splinting. What do you always do before you splint? CSM. CSM. So you're always going to assess CSM. And what do you do after you split? Same thing. CSM again. Okay. So you're always going to do that. And how do you splint things if they are... Um, not locked or in a weird position or something. Splint it as is, how it, uh, the position of function. So as is is good. Position of function is the one. So like if you've got their hand, you don't want to splint their hand out like this. You want to put it in a position of function. If you have a curlex or coban or something like that, you can just have them grab onto it as you split. If I've broken my wrist or I've broken the long bones here in my my forearm. Uh, you just <laughs> um <laughs> she's like ah it's Alexa, sorry. My, no you're fine uh break it broken your radius and ulna what is what is the splinting rules what do i need to do to fix and splint these long bones the joint above and below okay so when i split this i have to have the elbow so it doesn't move what's the easiest way to split an elbow so it doesn't move slight swath Sling and swath. That's the easiest way to go with that. Trying to take a slant, Sam splint and put it up at a 90 degree angle and keep my elbow still with that. Man, let me tell you, that is just way, way ineffective. Sling and swath. So when I do the wrist, and a lot of people will do this, they'll put the splint on and they'll, they'll put it up to the end of the hand and then they'll wrap from here to here. My hand still moves. You need to secure my hand to that splint so that it can't come up. Because otherwise, if my wrist can bend, you failed your splinting piece. So you have to splint the joint above and the joint below. If I have injured my elbow, what do you have to splint? Or Okay. You need to make sure that I cannot move my humerus or my radial and ulna bones. And the best way to do that, again, is simply a sling and swath. You don't have to do anything more to that. Okay. If it's my knee, you need to immobilize the um, bones above and below, so I should not be able to bend my knee. So you're going to have to go from, you know, like posterior down past into my ankle and splint that. An A-frame or um, a padded longboard or a padded hardboard will do that. Putting them on a backboard splints that pretty well, right? 
I like blankets. I like a lot of the stuff that's really easy to deal with. But go ahead and just manage those types of splints and check CMS before and after. If you have a splint that went on too tight which you, or and you don't have any pulse now, you had CMS before and you put your splint on and you don't, what should you do? Adjust it one time. So it's not about alignment. It's about unwrapping the splint and rewrapping it a little less tight. I do that in the hospital sometimes. I go through and I'm putting together a uh, um, splint for somebody and they are sitting there and they're moving around. And the next thing you know is I put the splint on. It's a little too tight because we always check CMS. I always wait about five minutes and we recheck CMS again. And if their fingers are cold, uh, the cap refills down, I go ahead and um, rewrap that for them. I also talk to them about it because while I might have put it on properly the first time, if that continues to swell throughout the evening, then they need to know what they're doing. So I always walk them through while I'm while I'm splinting and say, this splint is still going to fit, but if it starts to get that your fingers are numb, they're tingly, they're cold, the, when you squeeze and they, they don't turn pink right away like this, your nail beds, then if you need to rewrap it, rewrap it the same way I did, just a little bit looser, right? And so I give them those directions. And if it were happening to me in EMS in the field, then I would go ahead and just had managed that to begin. All right? Let's see here. Hip fractures. Hip fractures are a um, injury of the femur, right? It's not a pelvic fracture. Hip fractures can be dangerous to us because it's still a femur fracture. You can lose a liter and a half of blood in a femur fracture. So we want to go ahead and stabilize that. A hip fracture, a pelvic sling still works for that. Because remember, where that pelvic sling sits is right where the area of those greater trochanters are. It's not up on the waist where the iliac crests are. It's down low across the bottom piece of the pelvis and wraps above the symphysis pubis. And so that's a good thing to use for a hip fracture as well. Um, scoop stretcher along with that to help move them is good. And a lot of times with the hip fracture, what you'll see is the leg is shortened and it's laterally rotated. Okay, so when you break that proximal femur, it pops up and it rotates off to the side. And you'll see that pretty commonly with a hip fracture. Uh, let's see what else we got. That's good stuff. Head trauma, remember we're going to start thinking about AVPU a lot with head trauma. We want to know what their mental status is as well. Um, and when we think about that, um, AVPU is their level of consciousness versus their mental status. Those two words get kind of transposed back and forth. Um, so um, just kind of think about that piece, but keep your AVPU in there. Uh, what is a concussion? A head injury, brain injury? It is a head injury, a brain injury. What else? What's really happening? Your brain is smacking against your your skull bone thing. So that, that's a, if when it goes forward and backwards, we call that the coup contra. We call that the coup contra. Um, and as it goes forward and backwards in there, you can actually end up with a contusion. A contusion is bruising of the brain, right? Um, and there can be two problems with that. You can have a, an epidural bleed, a subdural bleed. Those are brain bleeds. We'll talk about those. It's an axillary shearing. That's what a concussion is. 
remember that as your brain is around, those axons stretch and some of them pop. And as that happens, it releases lysosomes and other stuff, and that causes more damage to more of the brain tissue. So as we do that, you want to keep um, really aware of the uh, um, brain side of things, right? You want to think about that being an axonial shearing injury. Okay. Um, things that we see with concussion is what? Momentary consciousness. Okay, so on uh, Chris first. Momentary confusion. Okay, so confusion, right? And what did you say, Tristan? Loss of consciousness. Okay, loss of consciousness. Both of those are possible, and part of the process that we think about as well is the um, antegrade and retrograde amnesia. Retrograde says that you don't remember the things that have already happened, so you might not remember the accident or otherwise. Antigrade says that you don't remember the things that happened after the accident because your brain's not being able to, to process that and create, um, create memory from that. And you can have both of those as well. Headache, blurred vision, nausea, vomiting, those are other things that go along with concussion. And you can see those that last out for days or weeks. Uh, we talked about, you know, the process for this is to get you to kind of back away from stuff, decrease that brain activity as much as you can, um, and then slowly reintegrate yourself based off of that uh, progressive cycle, especially when we start thinking about athletes. Uh, Why do they put you in induced comas? Say that again? Induced comas? Sometimes, it depends on how bad the, the injury is. Um, sorry, I just got another email from the um, So, I mean, that is possible. Uh, it depends on how bad the injury is or what they need to do to sustain you in that process, and that would probably include other injuries. I don't know that... Most of the time, just because you hit your head, that they're going to be like, all right, well, our recommendation is going to be that we're going to, you know, give you an induced coma. That's for, like, significant um, traumatic brain injury stuff. They also will do things like uh, uh, sensory deprivation tank time for those people, which is pretty cool. I had uh, Shisha, who was one of my students, gosh, probably three or four years ago now, who had a massive concussion and she had gone through all of that process of trying to get herself back to um, where she used to be as far as her brain power that really struck um, Let's see here. Subdural hematoma. <laughs> you switch from Nike to Broncos. Strong. Um, so oh. subdural hematoma, what is that, Robin? Uh, subdural hematoma is brain and where is it happening below the dura below the dura right hit subdural good and is it a fast or slow bleed usually slow. how do submarines look in movies slow there you go subdural submarine slow it's below subdural okay um it tends to be a slow bleed Who's really at risk for injury from um, these? Who, who have an increased risk of injury? Yeah. Alcoholics. Alcoholics. Alcoholics and old people. And old people, 
Yeah. So alcoholics, because their brain pickles up a little bit and it atrophies. Uh, elderly, because their brain atrophies and shrinks and it leaves a little more room for it to bounce around the skull. So when you have these people who have fallen and hit their head as much as a couple of weeks ago, yeah, that's somebody that we're pretty worried about. All right? Epidural bleeds happen quickly. And what's kind of the, the thing about epidural bleeds that we think about seeing? They have a period where they are unconscious and they are conscious and lucid and then they have a decreasing mental status and then they die die okay and so i showed you the uh, video of them evacuating an epidural hematoma from that 12 year old right so that's another good kind of way to look at that uh let's see we talked about basal skull fracture and cerebral spinal fluid leak that's classic sign of that we talked about raccoon's eyes Battle sign, the mastoid processes, we did that. Um, spinal injuries, we talked about why we do spinal stabilization. We've, we've talked about um, the difference between um, spinal cord neurogenic shock, which is a severing of the spinal cord, which is permanent, versus spinal shock, which is more of a bruising of the uh, spinal cord, which is temporary and may improve. Um, when do we take off a helmet? Always. If it's impeding Okay, yeah, if it's if it's inhibiting your ability to assess, maintain an airway or ventilate a patient. Right? Uh in sports you can usually just pop off the face mask piece and you do pretty good, especially considering that with shoulder pads and stuff, the helmet keeps them all in a pretty pretty good alignment if it's a well fitting helmet. So that's pretty good. Um, where would I find vitreous humor? In the eye. Which part of the eye? The front. Front of the eye, the anterior chamber of the eye, right behind the cornea, has got um, vitreous humor. Or a sorry, vitreous humor. Did I say vitreous? Yeah, um, vitreous humor is um, in the back of the eye, in the eyeball itself. Aqueous humor is up in the front, right behind the cornea. Um, let's see. We know the sclera is the round part. Those are all pretty big things. Lacerations to the neck. What are we? What's our biggest concern about a laceration to the neck? Uh, Arterial bleeding. Air embolism. Okay. Because remember, the, the arteries are still pretty deep in. Um, the EJ and the IJ, though, if they get lacerated, create a very quick path from here right down to the subclavian vein, right into the superior vena cava and directly into the heart, which then can get to the um, lungs pretty rapidly. When that happens, um, we are definitely more at risk for an embolism, so we need to worry about that. The uh, uh, thing to do with that is an occlusive dressing, right? Um burns to the uh, face. What are we worried about burns to the face for? Impedes airway. Respiratory burn. Respiratory. So face is cosmetic. Function is important because that's how we eat and see and everything else. But then the other side is you want to get out that pin line. You want to look inside their mouth really deeply. You want to look to see if you've got any charred stuff. See something. Something. Because I know that Robin 
hates pictures. Pictures are covering this. There we go. Too much happening on this screen. Alright, so when you have this guy who's in a house fire, what are her thoughts and concerns? Airway. Definitely airway. You can see the singe, you can see the, the full thickness burn to the tissue on that face, right? Um, you can yeah. see the burns on the arms. Okay. Can only see his head. Hey, give me a second. You guys seeing his arms? Yeah. yeah. Maybe a little laggy there, Turbo. Um, you can see here that's a darkened area from and where he was dragged. You see he still has burns on his back. Burn at the top of his head. Um, this, though, when you look, is his airway, okay? Here's the epiglottis, right? Tongue. Look at that airway. What does this tell you? He had a lot of fire in his throat. <laughs> okay. He was alive when this was happening, right? Because he was breathing in. People who are killed and put in a building and set on fire, they don't have this, okay? This comes from him breathing in that um, toxin, right? From breathing in that smoke. And so you can see that uh, process in um, in a patient. You can see that, that dark and charring. So it's things to really look at as far as... Um, how, how are you going to manage your patient? Make sense? Uh, I had a guy who was in a car, tried to start the engine, had been putting gasoline in it to try to get it. The fumes had gotten up in the car. And the car had started, the whole car flashed. It became a bit of a flash chamber. Um, he had this giant ZZ top beard. And by the time we were done, it was all the way burnt up to just stubble in here. The whole thing had just blown. So um, airway is a huge concern of mine. And I'm trying to tell them, you should really go and get um, checked out because if you don't, you know, there's a really good chance you have an airway problem that could be swelling and otherwise. He wouldn't go get checked out. And he had second and first and second degree burns across his chest and stuff. You can see the blistering on him. He was kind of a mess. So let's see here. Blowout fracture, right? That's an orbital fracture. 
you think about those that are getting assaulted, punched in the face, in the face with bats, things like that. Um, and then the subcutaneous emphysema, we talked about that up in the chest as well. And that can sometimes get clear up into the neck. We had a guy who um, I, we had this massive brand new... Wow, Kira, you okay? Yeah, I'm moving because I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Sorry. All I see was just all of a sudden this... Um, <laughs> doing CPR and it's this massive cop and as he's doing it, you could just keep hearing the thudding of him hitting the floor through this guy's chest, right? And so we're he's just crushing on this guy's chest and his neck starts to fill up with air as we're ventilating him. This dude had punctured this, this poor dead guy's lungs. Uh, we did end up ventilating his chest. The guy still ended up dead. But that's a situation where over-aggressive CPR is not so um, When it gets in here to chest trauma, I think we have covered the pneumothorax pretty well, haven't we? Robin, with the pictures. I like pictures just fine. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll leave you alone. I made Turbo sad earlier, too. <laughs> when did I get sad? When I told you you tried to do other things before CPR, I saw you. Very oh. But you're okay. I'm, I'm, I'm making it through now. Good. I'm happy. We'll make a snow angel later. Snowman and then rocks at it. Um, let's see here. Chest trauma, pneumothorax, tension pneumothorax. Hemothorax just means blood. We've talked about flail segment, two or more ribs broken in two or more places. You're just going to manage that and worry about um, underlying conditions underneath of that. Traumatic asphyxia was something we didn't cover in the stuff. Um, and that's something where somebody gets squashed. Um, honestly, the I have seen this just a handful of times. Usually it's somebody who's like working on a car, and the jack stand, they have it on a jack or they have it held up by a toothpick or something, and the car comes down and squashes them, and that temporary push pushes all that blood up, and their face gets bruised, you get petechiae, those little burst blood vessels in their eyes. Um, it is something that we worry about. We had a guy who actually walked in North Suburban after getting crushed under a truck. Um, and then the other one that I saw was a small child who dad and dad was running with the kid and hit something that he tripped over and fell and as he fell he held on to the kid and the kid ended up I think you muted yourself Greg you muted yourself the kid ended up doing something he's still one hello Greg 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 you're still muted. <laughs> Touched. <laughs> I tucked that in there to keep it out of the way. So, where were we at? Something he about the kid. Did something. Oh, yeah. The dad was carrying the kid, and when he fell, he tripped and he fell and he squashed that kid. Uh, the kid did fine, but he still had all that bruising in his face, the petechiae. The parents were uh, ridiculously upset. The mom was ridiculously upset at the dad. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He was a great dad. He was running with the kid, having a good time. They were all laughing. And then all of a sudden, it was an accident. And accidents happen. Remember that. Okay, anyway. Um, and then pericardial tamponade. 
that's when the heart uh, sitting inside its pericardial sac starts to become um, compressed. Very artistic, Spencer. I like it. Uh, it starts to become compressed because fluid is building up in that pericardial sac. You're going to see a rise of the diastolic, and then you're going to see that systolic start to drop because you're not going to be able to have preload. Right? Um, and then and, uh, gen abdominal genitourinary stuff. How do we manage an evisceration? Moist sterile cloth. Moist sterile dressings followed by an... Exclusive dressing. Give them oxygen, right? Keep the knees bent. Transfer the patient. It's pretty straightforward. Mm. Genitalia stuff. Don't stick stuff in places that you can't get it out of. If you want to experiment, tie a string or something to something, for God's sakes, please. Okay? I... I've taken a lot of people to the hospital for a lot of things, and I try to do it with dignity as much as I can. But sometimes you just have to laugh at the, uh, just really, that. what made you think that that went there? It just didn't. Sir, you have a carrot in your rectum? Yes, I was gardening. You were gardening? Naked. What? I felt like, sir, carrots grow underground. He hadn't thought that far. <laughs> into his story but uh, and nobody farms potatoes in their in their backyard I'm just telling you nobody farms potatoes in their backyard I don't care and you did not fall on that we were making baked potatoes and my wife left it sitting on the chair <laughs> what okay. sorry um, let's see Gaining access to paper patients, um, we've talked about that. What constitutes simple access to um, a vehicle or to an apartment or anything else? Window or a door. Yeah, roll the window down, open the door, try it before you pry it. That's that's the rule. Um, and then complex, then that's the, the cut and the, the pry and stuff, the spreaders, all of that stuff is, a, is complex stuff i would understand triage and be prepared to triage somebody who you are going to do it without emotion or thought to what the injury is because the injury doesn't matter three things matter in triage rpm that's it are they breathing if not open the airway are they breathing nope they're dead okay, unless they're little then you give them five rescue breaths if they start breathing spontaneously great okay if not they're dead Pulse, do they have a radial pulse? Or do they have cap refill less than two seconds? Do they have an altered mental status? Those things get you to immediate, otherwise it's delayed, just like our knife guy. He is delayed. That is not um, that is not an emergent, or, or it could be an emergent transport eventually, but it's not immediate right now. Understand what MSDSs are or safety data sheets. And... Um, I would understand a little bit about the ICS system. You're going to have 10 that you're going to have to be able to identify what kind of injury it is. I don't believe they are difficult at all. That's good. And then, yeah, that's it. That's your test.
it's going to be open at eight o'clock in the morning on um, Monday. We will not be meeting on Monday for class at all. And then we will be meeting on Wednesday to begin EMS 123 together. What's going to be our modified schedule? Um, uh, once I hear from the dean what the plan is, that will help me to put the, that schedule together. And I, lo I lost you for a second. You said we're not going to meet Monday, but we're going to meet Wednesday for what? The beginning of EMS 124. Okay. And we're going to cover birth and babies. Rose. Rose, you're absolutely right. And it's going to be mandatory to have the camera on because I like to watch the faces of people as they go. Wow. It makes me happy. <laughs> so, all right. Any other questions you have for me right now? Uh, Greg, how long is the exam supposed to be? like open tills from like 8 a.m. till when? Five. Cool. Okay. Just making sure. Yep. It's open from eight until five, one attempt. Um, I think you have 38 minutes to take it. What? <laughs> Great. It's so hundred questions. I think I'm giving you a hundred minutes. It's not a hard test. Well, it's, it's not as hard as exam three. You guys did very well on exam four. Right. Overall, so um, any other questions for me? What was the average for exam four? That's a great question. Let me see if I can figure that out real quick. You can dance like a man. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what the hell was that? The text. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's almost more fun teaching class this way. Well, um, let's see here. Exams. Activity. Oh, wait, that was in a different class, wasn't it? Greg, is there a way to um, like open up uh, exam force and see which questions we missed so we can see what we might need to study more for National Registry? Let me think about how I want to do that because my standard answer is no. Okay. Um, this is definitely not the ideal side of things. Uh, yeah, it's hard to know what we missed. Yep, I agree. Um, I will say the advantage to having the test online is that if you don't feel like you understand the answer or know the answer, you could probably make a pretty quick note on the side that said, I need to study this more. Not looking that up somewhere else as I trust you guys. Um, but that would probably be how I would recommend it. I'll look and see what it looks like, but, um, well, I'm just going to. The overwhelming scores were IBs and A's. Mm 